This is our last week in our series, Make Room. And next week, we start a new series called Good News. And next week is also a special Sunday. It's Palm Sunday, which means we truly are inching closer to Resurrection Sunday. And so I encourage you to be here uh, uh, next Sunday and, and for the series that's coming up uh, uh, about, about, good, about good news, okay? So we're starting that next week, and that will take us through right after, right after Easter, okay? Now, the Sunday after Easter, on April 24th, we're going to have some special things happening on that Sunday. During the morning gathering, which is this gathering, we're going to have illusionist Matt Adams with us, and he's going to really knock your socks off. He's going to surprise you with some things. It's going to be really, really fun. And we want you to come out and be a part of that. And then in the evening gathering, we are going to have the skit guys here uh, to, to, to minister and to do some, uh, to do some cool things uh, that night as well. So these are two different opportunities. Now, you might ask yourself, now, why are we doing this? Why are we having these special things? Well, here's the thing. Typically, ordinarily, uh, Easter Sunday, we see a few more faces than we do on an average Sunday, yes? And so what we want to do is we want to provide an opportunity for maybe those once or twice a year goers, you might have an invitation to a neighbor or somebody that says, you know, they might not want to come to church, but they'll come see an illusionist. Or they might not want to come to church, but they'll come see the skit guys that night. It gives you an opportunity to maybe draw them into the house a little bit and see what the Holy Spirit does, okay? And so an opportunity available uh, for April 24th, you won't want to miss it. It's going to be a great, great Sunday. Following that Sunday on May 1st, we're going to have an outdoor worship uh, service and picnic. Now, if you were part of our worship service last year, it was really, really a great day, uh, and we're we're planning on we're planning on worshiping outside. Uh, we will have one gathering that day. Uh, I believe it's Anna Green Gables will be uh, doing a show that evening. Okay, so we will be having one gathering for everybody. Both both services, uh, morning and evening, will meet uh, at that time at ten thirty, and we will have a picnic following. Now, we're also going to do baptisms that day outside. We believe that one of the things that we're asked to do after salvation is to be baptized in water. And so if you are interested in being baptized, I encourage you to see one of the staff pastors, and we're going to do some baptisms on that day as well. Sound good? All right. I think that that's all. Oh, one other thing's happening that day. I'm glad. I knew I needed to put that note in my my notes. Slime is happening that day, okay? Slime is also happening. So whoever's getting slimed will automatically be being baptized immediately following. No, kidding. But but there is a, there's a sliming that's going to be happening that day. And you guys, if you have not voted, there is an opportunity for you to vote. Pastor Kim is real intent that you only vote one time. Uh, and I know that Pastor James is in that top, uh, top area. Pastor James is. And Pastor Kim also is in that top ranking. Uh, so uh, go ahead and vote. We're going to be doing the sliming on that outdoor gathering, okay? All right, enough of that. God has saved the best for today. And, uh, and I'm excited. So would you stand with me as we continue our Make Room series? We're going to uh, read a familiar passage from the book of Luke. Let's read together. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he is safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that allows each one of us who is lost to be found. I pray, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit today to be transformative in our hearts. I pray, Lord, for those things, Lord, that I might say that make no difference, Lord, that they would be forgotten and the things that you have to say to us, Lord, that they would be remembered and that they would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So as I noted before, we are continuing our series, uh, Make Room. This is our last Sunday in this series. Guys, for the last three months, we've been basically talking about creating capacity and making space in your life for the Lord. And one of the things that the Lord was ministering to me this week is that really this concept of making room is countercultural. It's countercultural in that this is not something like a series that we have here on a Sunday and all of a sudden we've got it and so we just move on to another series. This is a lifestyle practice that Christians have to employ every single day. 
We've got to make space in our life. We've got to make room. This is a battle and a fight that we don't want to give up. And it's one of the reasons why I believe we didn't spend one Sunday on it or two Sundays that we've been traveling on this journey together because this is a very important and essential concept for a Christian, a believer's life is to make room for the Lord. If we're not making room for the Lord, we're making room for ourselves. If we're not making room for the Lord, we make room for ourselves. Now, in this world, we have issues. True? We have controversial issues, and in a room this size, I'm sure that we disagree about a lot of things, okay? Hopefully not about the important things, but in a room this size, it's size, it stands to reason that we're going to disagree about a few things, you know, Coke or Pepsi. And who's, who loves Coke? Who loves Pepsi? Okay, we have a divided room here. Apple or Android? Apple? Android? All right. Tennessee or Alabama? Let's go ahead and open the altars this morning for... There are some controversial issues that aren't necessarily important, but there are things that we disagree about. But in a room this size with all of us, though we have our different opinions about different things, especially the things that don't really matter, one thing I think we all can agree on is we all have problems. We all have problems. Some of you are sitting next to your problem. We all have problems. And, and, and with that, and with that, if we all have problems, then the truth is we all need answers. Life is full of problems. Life is full of situations where we are desperately looking for answers. We're looking for answers. Now, if the, the saying opposites attract is true. I want to tell you, my wife has a math degree. I think that's gross, but she has a math degree. I do not enjoy math. I do not like math, but we're going to talk about math this morning just a little bit. When I was in school, I took all the subjects like you took, a majority of you took in school. And like I said, math was uh, my least favorite of those. But when I was in school, I learned that two plus two equals four. And I would surmise that a majority of you, if I were to say, here's your test today, two plus two equals what? I, I believe that a majority of people in this room would say, well, the answer is four. Now, whether you use your fingers to get there or your toes, or sometimes you need objects, manipulatives, we call that in the education world. To get there, we can maybe hopefully arrive to two plus two is four. Now, while I don't have a math degree, I do have a degree in education, and sometimes I keep up with what's going on in the education world. And, and for quite some time, especially recently, there has been this move in the education realm, especially in the area of math, that two plus two can equal anything you want it to equal as long as you can justify your answer. Two plus two can equal anything you want it to as long as you can justify your answer. And what this does is it makes me think about our life and our life situations and wonder, do we spend 
much more time trying to justify our wrong answers than reevaluating the problem to find the right one. Because it seems to me in this world with which we're living, this world is ravenous trying to get us to come up with whatever it is that you want to believe, whatever truth you want to succumb to, whatever thing that you really want, you just live your life the way that you want to live and then you'll land somewhere over here, wherever you desire, in your little fence with your little house and everything's going to be okay. But what we need to understand, folks, is getting an answer is not the same as getting the answer. Getting an answer is nowhere close as the same as getting the answer. John 14, 6 makes it very clear. Jesus does not say, I am a way. Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus doesn't say, I am a truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus doesn't say, I am a a, a certain type of life. He says, I am the life. And he goes on to say that there is only one way to the Father, and he says it's through him. That is not subjective. There's no argument or question about that. Now, there are arguments out there about that, but the truth is the truth that Jesus says, I am the only way. One way, very clear. I cannot get behind as a Christian, as a pastor, as a person, I cannot get behind teachings in the church that say God is trying to make it hard for those who follow him to try to find the answers for life. I don't believe that at all. I think that's not good. And uh, (laughs) Lord, help me. God has given us his word. And I believe his word is clear. And he has given us this gift of the Holy Spirit. You can't go wrong if you've got the word and the Holy Spirit in your life. You're going to get the answer that you need. He gives us the answers and God does not try to trick you. I cannot give it. God did not send Jesus Christ to go through the pain and suffering and die on a cross so that he can look at you and say, ooh, I hope I can trick you into believing in me. He makes it simple. But it's not him that gets in the way. It's us that gets in the way. Because we look at the world and we say, you know, I kind of think that feels good, tastes good, looks good. I want a little bit of that in my life. But I really want a little bit of you, Lord, in my life. And I definitely don't want people to know that I want a little bit of this in my life. So I'm going to justify my answer here by trying to do all the right things on this side. I'm going to call myself a Christian. I'm going to walk my life out and then wonder why I don't get the blessing of God in my life. God has answers for your questions. And he has the right answers for your questions. Another principle in math. You maybe have heard of this. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Now, I've never met Sally before, but she's been excused quite a bit in my life. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally is a part. And, and you know what? I think I, I did. I, I inverted that. I'll fix that for tonight. It should be P-E-M-D-A-S. It's like Pedmos. What is that? Let me justify why I... No, okay. But this is referred to as the order of operations. The order of operations. And basically what the order of operations is, is it says that if you follow the order here, you have a chance to get the right answer. But if you don't follow the order, you are guaranteed to get the wrong answer. I'm gonna say that again. If you follow the order here, you have a chance on getting the right answer. 
But if you don't follow this order, you are guaranteed to get the wrong answer. And so the order of operations says parenthesis and then exponents and then multiplication, division, addition, and subtraction. And if we take an equation and we plug in numbers and we follow that order, it's very likely that we're going to land on the right answer. And so I believe that God gives us an order of operation for our life. He gives us an order of operations for our life. And I believe that the word makes the order of operations in the situations and the questions very clear in his word. But using this concept in math of the order of operations in math, we're going to say that the very first step of solving any equation in our life is in the parentheses. It's in the parentheses, okay? And so when it comes to the parentheses, there's really only one of two answers that can go in the parentheses of solving life's equation. It's either God or it's me. It's either God or it's me. A few weeks back, Justin was speaking. God does not want to share the throne room of your heart. And so God makes this very easy for us. He says, let me make this mathematical problem very easy for you. If it's anything less than 100%, you can have it. If it's 100%, I'll take the spot. So it's not 97% God and 3% you, or 60% God, 40% you. No, it's 100% God or it's you. Those are, the, those are the options. And just because you put God in the parentheses doesn't mean that there's still not an order to be followed with the rest of the problem. In fact, putting God at the, in the parentheses actually establishes the order for the rest of the problem. Let me give you an example. Rhonda was up here talking about tithes today. So let's talk about tithes for example, okay? I'm gonna put God first in my life and I've got the, the problem I'm encountering right now is with my finances. That's the problem, okay? So here's the equation for my finances. And I decide, first step, parentheses, I'm gonna put God in the parentheses. And God tells me, Give 10%, 10% of my income. So I do that. Get my check on Friday, in here on Sunday, write a check, I tithe. The Bible gives me some promises with the tithe, doesn't it? It says, you know, open the window of heaven and pour out a blessing. All of these wonderful things, okay? I'm excited about that. So I follow the principle of tithing and I turn in my tithe check and then I take the 90% and I go up to Dave and Buster's and I get in that arcade and I just spend all that money. I get on that arcade. I get a bunch of tickets and points. I get all the prizes, some burgers, some pizzas. And I completely waste the other 90%. And then my rent comes due. And I don't have any money for my rent. Now, wait a second. I, I put God first. I paid my tithe. Where is this window of heaven, this unexpected blessing? Where's this check in the mail. And you know, I don't know, I guess I can get in trouble for this, but I, I just, idiot. It, it's not, it didn't work that way, right? What, let me ask you a question about this, it's anonymous. <clears throat> what if the miracle in your life, what if the miracle in your life 
was you putting God first and the Holy Spirit convicting your heart about what you're spending your money on so that at the end of the month, you have more than what you began with. That's a miracle in people's lives. It's not always in the, it's not that God can't do unexpected checks and all of those things, but there is an order to operations as you put God first in your life. Saying that you put God first and actually doing what he says is two different things. Making room for God in your life should be the first step toward obedience and the ultimate step to finding the answers you need for your life. Because here's the deal. Whatever's in the parentheses influences the rest of the equation. Whatever is in the parentheses influences the rest of the equation. So what's in your parenthesis today? Rather, who's in your parenthesis today? And so we learn this story, we see this story, and I know that a majority of you are familiar with the story of the prodigal son. And we see this son and we don't really, we're not really, it's not really disclosed to us the reason why he goes to his father and he says, hey, give me everything, you know, that, that's due to me. Give me my inheritance and, and let me leave. But we, it picks up from the point where he goes to his father and says, give me my inheritance because I'm about to leave. And so what we can discern from that, what we can take away from that is he most definitely has not put necessarily his father in that parentheses. In fact, what he says is, I don't have any room for you, dad. All I have room for is your benefits. In other words, the benefit of being your son is of far more value to me than the relationship I have to you as a son. He says to the father, I don't need your influence over my life. I just need your stuff. Dad, I don't need your influence in my life. I just need your stuff. Anytime you make less room for your father, you make more room for yourself. And so the son, the dad gives him his inheritance. He says, here you go, take it. And the son leaves And you know what he does? He has a good time. He has a good time. Do you know that you actually can have a good time in the world without the Lord for a season? But the price tag is never worth it. Sometimes people's seasons long is years. Sometimes it's short. But I would not be real to tell you that you could run away from the Lord and not enjoy the, let me tell you, this world has a lot of things that it thinks, <laughs> it thinks is good. And it fools you into believing, fulfilling all those desires, the lust of your flesh is what you need to sustain your life. And as it fools you into believing that, you go into those things and all of the resource that you have begins to go out the door, begins to go out the door But then something happens, a famine hits. In the story with the son, he had spent everything he had and then a famine hits. Here's the thing, guys. God knows about variables that you haven't considered yet. God knows the variables that you haven't considered yet. And when the famine hits, it's something that's out of the son's control 
And instead of turning back at that moment and realizing I've done something wrong, he continues down the path of trying to make it right himself. I'm gonna tell you something right now. If I lost my job and I no longer had a means of income, I can tell you right now, my four daughters, they would be eating because they're under my roof and they're with me whether I had to scrub toilets, whatever I had to do to make sure that they were eating, I was gonna do that. When the famine hit to this son, he had every opportunity to say, no worries, I'm in my father's house. But he was out there all alone. And so he had no choice but to pick up and try to figure out what he was going to do outside of the fact that he could have turned and gone to his father, but he decided to get himself a job and go work as a hired hand with some pigs, a gross job. And I caught something when I was reading the story again, preparing for this, I caught something I'd always visualized in my mind that the son was in there working with the pigs, eating that slop. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says he was in there going there and he had desired to eat what the pigs were eating, but nobody would give him a thing. What I'm trying to tell you is even the trash that he desired, he couldn't even get that. Even the trash that he wanted, he couldn't hit, hit the bottom of the bottom. And sometimes the Lord will let you hit rock bottom in order for you to come to your senses. The Bible says that he came to his senses. When he came to his senses, he had a choice to make. And this is how he came to his senses. He knew that the father was part of the answer. But what he didn't realize was that the father was the answer. And guys, this is where I want us to really think about today. We so often find ourselves at the point where we're in the pig pen and we find ourselves in the need and we've, we've lost the benefit. We see the famine. There's all this stuff going on around us. And we know that the answer lies with the father, but we don't understand that it's not the benefit of the father that we need. It's the relationship with the father that we need. Because when we run away from the father, we are saying that the benefit supersedes the relationship. But here's the deal. When the relationship supersedes the benefit, then you won't end up in the pig pen in the first place. Because when you have the relationship, you also got the benefits and you got protection as well from things that you see and know and don't know. And so he's considering, what do I need to eat? Ah, my father has a house and the hired servants are eating better than I am right here. I'm going to devise a plan. How many have been there? Be honest. I'm going to devise a plan. And so he gets this plan going in his mind and he decides, I know how I'm going to get back. But there's a problem. And here's the problem. Leaving may be on your terms, but returning is on his. Leaving may be on your terms. Give me my inheritance. But the way you return, you don't get to say anything about it. Because here's the deal, guys you don't get to work your way back to the father. You don't get to pay the penance back to the father. You don't get to try to work and earn your way back to the father. There was a man named Jesus who came to this earth and lived an impeccable life and died on a cross and paid all the shame between the pig pen and the father. He paid that entire price so that all we had to do is turn around and father God is there running after us with compassion. 
So many of us are coming out of the pig pen and we're trying to work. We're trying to pay the price that Jesus paid. And the father says, no. He says, no, the price has been paid. The price has been paid. And so the son decides he's going to go and tell the father three things. He says, the first thing, I have sinned against heaven and against you. The second thing he says is, I'm not worthy to be your son. And the third thing is, hire me to be a slave in your house. And so he's going back to the father and he gets to the father and the Bible tells us that the father sees him, fills with compassion and runs toward his son, grabs him, kisses him and is so excited to welcome him back. And the son says, I am a sinner. I've sinned against heaven and you. I am not worthy to be your son. And then the father cuts him off. Read it. The father cuts him off. Guys, two of the three of those things, I am a sinner, I'm not worthy, I wanna be a slave. Only two of those things say surrender. And if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Let me tell you something. Only thing that God is asking for you is to surrender your life And in order to surrender your life where you move from the realm of benefit to relationship, where you receive the gift is to say, God, I am not worthy. I am a sinner. And then he says, well, come on, let's put on the best robe. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how dirty you've been. I don't care where, we don't need to address that. The truth is, is that you were lost and now you're found. He has answers. He has answers for your problems. He has answers for your problems. And so the son understands at that moment when the robe is placed on him, God is in the front part of my problem here. I'm putting God in the parenthesis. Now there was this older son, worship team, you can, uh, Jonathan, Michael, you can start coming back out. There was this older son in this story as well. But I want you to notice in the older son that the older son and the younger son had almost the same problem. See, the older son is invited to the party just by the fact that he's there. And he decides not to go hearing all the celebration. He looks over and says, what is going on here? This son who has squandered your money, prostituted himself, all of these things. And you're going to celebrate him coming back home? The father says, son, you have had me and all of my stuff this entire time. But this son of mine has come home. He was lost and now he's found and we need to celebrate. See, here's the thing. The older son, he was in proximity, but he was not surrendered in relationship. You can be in proximity to God. You can put God in the first step. I te- Check, I have put God in the first place. I have made just enough space, but now I'm gonna turn around and do things my way and you're gonna land on the wrong answer. But if you will say, God, I surrender the first step to you. And now I'm looking for you to influence every other decision I make in my life. I'm looking for your way to do A plus B. I'm looking for your way to, oh, this is how you want me to divide. This is how you, and I'm gonna be successful and I'm gonna find the answer. And I can trust you, God, with whatever that answer is. And so many more times than not, I see in the word that the answer I came up with is squat compared to what he comes up with. His answer is so much bigger and grander and better and greater. It's amazing. Over at my school, we have an educational philosophy. 
And some people can't get behind it, but it's just one that I feel like the Lord's given me. And the educational philosophy is this. You have child number one. Child one on the first round gets the right answer. He gets an A+. Child two takes him 22 times to get to the same correct answer. He also gets an A+. But wait a minute, that's not fair. Wait, this child, it only took him one time and this child 22 and they both end up with the same grade. Let me ask you a question. Is it more important to illuminate how many times it took you to get there or the fact that we both arrived? And if I can train this child to celebrate the success of this child, if we could train ourselves to celebrate when somebody comes home and not stand up and just say, hey, you know, I got here before you did. Your life doesn't look like mine. You're not doing all the right things. If we can learn to celebrate when people come home, even though they don't look like us, even though, get this, even when they wrong you, even when you we're the one they slapped in the face out the way out the door. But boy, when they arrived that we could celebrate with them. Oh, church, we would, there would be such a revival if we could make room. And the only way that our heart has the capacity to welcome and celebrate when people come home is when we start with God and say, I'm making room for you and I surrender because our eyes are fixed completely on him and we don't see the mess of other people's life. We just see that we're around everybody else celebrating the Lord. And it's good and it's rich. John 15 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Here's the thing, guys. You want abundant life? You've got to do better than just getting close to the Lord. Making room is about being connected to Him. It's about being connected to Him. We need his life source in our life. We need his answers in our life. And the only way we can get there is by being connected to the vine. But I'm growing, I'm growing in my relation. I'm getting close. I'm about 62%. It's not good enough. It's not about just getting close. It's about getting connected. And may we be a people who make room to connect in relationship with this awesome God. So I wanna do something a little unique today. Jonathan and Michael are going to lead us in this song. And I don't know about you, but I've been moments when I'm in the pit and it is so lonely by myself. I don't usually have somebody there to pull you up. And sometimes when some, if somebody does come along to pull me up, I start looking at them and calling them my God. And so sometimes the Lord just lets you be there so you can figure out that he's who you need. Guys, I don't, whoever you are in this place, every single one of us have been in that spot. Every single one of us. And this morning, and some of you might be there now, But this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to reflect. I want us to reflect on those moments 
that we ran back to this father. And the time that you ran back again. And the time that you ran back again. And the time that you ran back again. And 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 again, 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 and as many times as you've had to run back for whatever the problem was, I want us to reflect on the power of the grace of Jesus Christ, the blood that covered all of that, that torturous season there that he had to go through, that he was resurrected, that we didn't have to pay, the grace of the Father. And it is available to you today. Some of you need it again this morning. And you can go back again today. Again today. And guess what? When you go back again today, Justin, James, when you go back, Kurt, when you go back again today, no matter what you did, we're going to celebrate because we've made room for those who have had to come back again 45 million times. Right? So this morning, instead of us at least at least at the beginning of this, instead of us singing this together, I'm gonna to ask Jonathan to sing this over us. And I'm gonna ask you to do something. If you're able today, if you could kind of make your seat your altar space. And we're just gonna we're just gonna take a time and have an intimate moment. We're gonna make room this morning for an intimate one-on-one connection between you and your father. So you can make your chair space, the altar. You can come to the altar space if you want to. But let's engage this moment. Let's make room for our Father right now. Let's go.